John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. John throws that in. He's the one writing these words. He wants to make sure we all understand that. And he said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. She said that. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, and both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter. He wants us to know that too. He's faster. And he reached the tomb first. And he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. He got to look in first. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He didn't go in first, but he got there first. He saw and believed but they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They knew something radical had taken place. And then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? He was right there in front of her. She didn't realize it was Jesus. I think what Dan was talking about, you know, Sometimes God has put things together in our lives and Jesus is right there. He's right in front of us and we don't realize it. We, we don't, we're not paying attention. We're not understanding. It's Jesus. And thinking he was the gardener, she thought Jesus was the gardener. What? Why did she think he was the gardener? That's not part of the story. And she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. When Jesus said her name, her eyes were opened. And I believe that, that Jesus is working in our lives, and he's working, and, and, and when he calls us, and he speaks your name, whatever your name is. It's not just a, it's not just a blanket call to everybody. He's, he, he knows my name. He knows your name. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them, that he had said these things to her. Mary Magdalene, she was crying. She was upset. She didn't know. And then Jesus is standing right there in front of her. We have in the gospel accounts eyewitnesses. Again, the question, how do we know? 
How do we know? What if he didn't rise from the dead? But we have eyewitnesses here who saw him, who touched him, who ate with him, who knew him. And these, I want to point out to you, is that these, many of whom would give their lives for him. Now, if, if he didn't rise, why would they bother to give their very lives for this Jesus who was still dead somewhere? They saw him. They were eyewitnesses. And in a court of law, eyewitnesses are pretty crucial. They're pretty important. They carry a lot of weight. There were eyewitnesses who saw. The Jews came along and they said they, you know, they, they talked to the guards in Matthew 20. They said they made up this story that if, you know, tell people that the disciples came and they stole the body away. And that's why he's not there in the tomb. Because they could see plainly and clearly he's not there. He's not there. He's not here. He is risen. 1 Corinthians 15 gives a whole list of people who saw him. List name after name after name. And then groups of people. One place 500 at once saw him. When Mary, she had this experience here with Jesus in John chapter 20. She, she, she didn't first recognize him. But when she did, she saw and she, she turned toward him. She cries out, teacher. She wanted to grab a hold of him. Eyewitnesses. The other part of, of this, I believe, is who he is. As I mentioned before, if he didn't rise from the dead, then he is just a man, just a simple good teacher, whatever. As people would say, he's just a man. But thinking back to what we read in John chapter 19 on Friday, the Jews, it says, they insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. The reason they, you know, finally they said, you know, we're going to put him to death because he's claiming to be the Son of God. He's claiming to be God the Son, and that's blasphemy is what they said. They convicted him of blasphemy. But if he really was the Son of God, would it be blasphemy? No, of course not. Romans chapter 1, though, Paul says these words. He says, through the spirit of holiness, Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He was declared through this resurrection to be who he said he was, the Son of God. He was completely, totally vindicated. They put him to death because he claimed to be the Son of God, but he certainly was the Son of God, and he proved it. He wasn't still in that tomb. He rose from the dead. I love what, what was quoted in Acts chapter 2 about Jesus. It says, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It was impossible. Why? Because he was the Son of God. Death could not keep him in that tomb. It was impossible. So we have eyewitnesses. We have him rising from the dead about, uh, you know, declaring with power who he was. But then something that Dan referred to as well and is the fact of changed lives. And I've already referred to it, that these men and women who saw him, their lives were completely changed by the resurrected Jesus Christ, and many of them, 
most of them, in fact, would give their lives for this one who was risen from the dead. I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So that's, that's right near Revelation, because we're going to go to Revelation next. But 1 Peter chapter 1, James, Peter, John, Jude, and then Revelation. So like five books back. 1 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> James, Peter, John, Jude, Revelation. Right after James. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You see that there? He says, it's praise be to God for what he has done, but, but really what happens is this new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through his death and through his resurrection, there's something that takes place. It's a, it's a second birth. It's a, a new birth. And, and again, Dan, I'm I, I just going to get Dan to speak before me every week because I'll just you know, play off that and, and use those examples, but, but he went to these different places where these born-again people were, and, and it's kind of a term of derision, hasn't it become that? Oh, you're one of those born-agains kind of thing? Well, you know, if we're not born again, we are not God's children. We are not saved to use the Bible's terminology. We have not received Jesus Christ. Unless that, that new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ has come into our lives and, and made a change inside of us, we're still dead in our sins, the Bible says. So when you hear people say, oh, you know, are you one of those born-agains? Well, I'm a Christian, but you're one of those born-agains. Well, to be a Christian, you must be born again. Jesus said it. You must be born again or you will not. See the kingdom of heaven, and you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you better be born again. And, you, and, and, and here Peter is saying it's coming to us through the resurrection of Jesus, that this power that came, rising Jesus from the dead, is what comes inside of us and makes us into brand new creation, he says. You're a brand new creation. And, and, and you know, if you have been born again, you know you've been born again. You know you are born again. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to have this experience like uh, Paul had on the road to Damascus where he was just like, you know, like uh, just flipped upside down and around and then all slammed back to the ground and whoa, you know. You know, but something takes place inside of us when we are born again by the Spirit of God inside of us. And unless we are born again, we do not have any hope for the future. We do not have that that life eternal with God, you must be born again. You see, what makes that possible here, Peter is saying, is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through the resurrection. If he's still in the tomb, we're not going to be born again. You can't just you know, say, well, I'm born again now, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wish it, and I'm going to hope it, and I'm going to think it, 
I'm going to imagine it, and then I will be. No. It doesn't work that way. It's got to be through the power of God. He told the Sadducees, as I mentioned, you are an error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. And the Scripture says, Jesus said, you must be born again. And the power of God is what comes into our lives. And Jim prayed about it this morning, this power that gives us victory over sin and over death. You must be born again. He says there, born again, given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then given us an inheritance as well. I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. Uh, And again, that's ahead now. Revelation chapter 1. We read already from John chapter 20, and, and, and John also writes the book of Revelation. And it's, it's, it's incredible, you know, what's written there. There's a lot of stuff that's very difficult to understand, but there's some things that are very, very clear, especially in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation. Look at verse 1. Right there it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's, the, what, that's what the book of Revelation uh, revelation, and a lot of people say revelations, it's revelation, because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Look down at verse 5, though. We're going to read from verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Right there in those verses, we see the cross and the resurrection, right? We see the, the firstborn from the dead, that he was risen from the dead. The firstborn, he paved the way for you and I. Unless he rises from the dead, we have no hope to rise. We have no hope for life after life. Life after death, however you want to look at it. We have no hope for a future life with Him apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then we see the cross as well. He's freed us from our sins by His blood. That blood that was shed on the cross. Verse 6, He's made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve His God and Father. To Him be glory and power forever. Amen. He's given us purpose to serve. So many times we we feel purposeless, we feel useless, but if we would only give ourselves to serve Him and say, God, where do you want me to go? We sing the song, where you go, I go, I I will follow you. What does God want you to do? You, not me. I, I got my own issues. I got my own questions about how I need to follow Him. And it's not just about being a pastor. It's about being a follower of Jesus Christ, each and every one of us to do what God has called us to do and follow Him wherever He calls us to go and be what He calls us to be. We don't have a lot of people in our fellowship, but we, but, but we can be mobilized to be a powerful group that would impact people like Dan before he was born again. You see, you and I... That, that, peop, that, that person we work with, we go in their office and we say hi and smile. Big white teeth. <laughs> well, because we can have an impact on people's lives because of who's living within us. 
And you know what? When, when we're used by God, it's like you, you stand back and you go, wow, what was that? Wow, what, you know, that I got to be a part of something that God was doing in this world. That's exciting. That's what makes life wor worth living. You know that little uh, saying, you know, uh, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. All the other things, all the other stuff we can, all the, all the accomplishments and all that, they're good and, and don't misunderstand me, but, but, but is it going to last? To serve his God and Father. This, isn't even, this is supposed to be about resurrection, but you know, John writing here in the book of Revelation, the revelation of who? Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, the firstborn from the dead, who loves us freed us from our sins by his blood, made us to be a kingdom, of, a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Verse 7, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. John says in verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering in the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He says in verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna. Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Who's he talking about there? Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Wow. And I thought I knew Jesus. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he's, he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. He said, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. The revelation of Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who rose from the dead. He says, I was dead. I was dead. He didn't just faint in the tomb like some weird, you know, people, you know, weird doctrine that people put forth. You know, he, he just kind of fainted, the swoon theory, they call it. He just swooned, and then, you know, he got in there, and then the coolness of the stone kind of revived him, and he came, he just kind of, you know, came back or whatever. No, no, he says, I was dead. He was dead. The soldiers made sure of that. That was their job. They made sure he was dead. And then he was in the tomb, and, 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 the, and the third day, he says, I was dead, but, but I am alive. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. 
Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from among the dead. It's interesting to me, uh, and one of the thoughts that as I was just thinking about this Sunday, one of the things that I, I, I kind of discovered, and it, it's kind of like a very simple truth, but it's, it's that the Lord's Day, he talks about the Lord's Day here in, in this uh, verse. Uh, what verse was that? Um, verse 10, he talks about the Lord's Day. And, and let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Early on, the Lord's Day became connected with the day of Sunday, the first day of the week. And you look at the history, and, and this is the day, the first day, we see it repeated over and over, the first day of the week when Jesus, what? Rose from the dead. And this kind of struck me that, that and, I, and I read this, and, and I never really thought about that before, that the reason we celebrate on the first day of the week, and we have church on Sunday, the first day of the week, is, is because they were celebrating the resurrection each and every week. This was a continuing celebration, not just one day of the year where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I thought about that, and I think, you know, am I thinking about the fact there's new life every single week? Kind of like something that's just right there in front of you, like, like Jesus in front of Mary. I read in one dictionary, it said, evidence from the early centuries clearly shows that Christians regarded Sunday as a day to rejoice in the new life brought about by the resurrection. Every single Sunday. Well, what, so what? So what? You know, we get all hyped up for this one Sunday, and we, we come and, you know, I'm glad that we do. We come and we clean the church extra special. We get all these nice flowers somewhere and, and you know, put these tables up here in the way, and, and we do all this stuff. What about every single Sunday? You know what? I think it's not enough for us just to have one day one Sunday a year where we kind of like get, get, you know, fired back up about the cross and the resurrection. We need it more than that because we are just helpless and hopeless people. Gail Irwin, you know, he says you be filled with the Spirit, but you need to keep being filled with the Spirit because we leak, he says. <laughs> and, and we need to, you know, each and every Sunday, you know, I just like that. It just kind of hit me upside the head, you know, a day to rejoice in the new life. Every Sunday, a day to rejoice in the new life brought about by the resurrection. A church historian, uh, Philip Schaff, wrote this. He says, a celebration of the Lord's Day in memory of the resurrection of Christ dates undoubtedly from the apostolic age. In other words, it's way back from the beginning. Someone else said, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why Scripture refers to it as the Lord's Day. Well, every Sunday, this is the only reference, by the way, to the Lord's Day. But when you look at the history and you see what happened, they began to put this together, and, and that's why we call it the Lord's Day. The first day of the week, Jesus rose on the first day of the week. I think we, we, we should be thinking about that more often, like every week. Why? Because we need to get pumped up. We need to get back. You know, from Sunday to Sunday, that's a long time. A lot of stuff happens in the week from Sunday to Sunday. I don't know about your life, but I mean, just as soon as I go home from here, I got to live with those people. 
You know, I got to live with myself. I got to wake up in the middle of the night and live with myself. You know, and, and I come here on Sunday and I just go, I get to be with you people. And I love you people. And it's like, I don't want to leave. Because there's something that happens. But I, but I, but I think, you know, for, for us to, to know more, hey, the resurrection, we're celebrating the resurrection. And, and not just what happened to him, but what happened to me. What's happening to me today? You see what I'm saying? Each Sunday we come to se- together to celebrate this new life, uh, to be renewed by the power of Jesus, the power of the cross and the resurrection. And, and if you find that I start getting really dull and, and forgetting about those things, come up and say, don't forget what you said. <laughs> today we're celebrating resurrection, new life, power. Jesus rose from the dead. Yes. Amen. Every day. So we start there. We start there at the cross and the resurrection, and we continue there. We start there and we continue there. You, you know what I mean by that? This is where we get started, where new life begins, where we're born again by the Spirit of God. But we got to continue there too, week after week, week after week, until... As we read in Revelation, here he's coming. He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him until he comes for you and for me. Are you born again? Have you started? You've got to start there. Are you born again into that new life that he purchased for us? Well, today's your opportunity if you're not. Today's your opportunity to believe and to receive, to be born again by the Spirit of God. And you will know. You will know his love. You will know something inside of you. Of you. And the second question, are you continuing? Are you being renewed day by day? What is he doing in your life? I want to turn to one more passage. I think we have time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it is getting warm in here. I understand that. But, you know, just think back like three weeks ago when we were like freezing to death in here. Things change, right? The tide comes in, the tide goes out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. I think there's something here for each one of us. He says, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. Why? Because of the resurrection, the power of God. Though outwardly we're wasting away, our hairlines are receding. Yet inwardly, look at this, look at this. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Inwardly, God is doing a work inside of us. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Sometimes they don't feel so light and momentary, right? Man, they feel very heavy and they feel eternal. Not momentary. But he says in comparison to what the future holds, he says, 
They're light. They're momentary. Think about that. Because there's an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In verse 1. Now we know that the earthly tent, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. That's a lot of hope. That's a lot of good stuff. Because of, because of the one who was raised from the dead. What is he going to do in us? What is he doing in you and in me? The cross and the resurrection, this is where we start, and this is where we continue. Every Sunday, every Sunday. Have you started? I hope so.